guys, it's Lem here, and I'm just popping into your ears to share an awesome episode from our latest season of Lady Startup. So this one features Lara Pack, who's a female entrepreneur who turned her painful sexual experiences into a business. After completing the Lady Startup activation plan in 2019, Lara founded Elixir Play with the aim of teaching women more about their bodies and ways to improve their sex lives. All the power to her, enjoy this one, and let us know what you think. This episode of Lady Startup is brought to you by the MYOB and Smiling Mind Small Business Program, partnering to make mental health everyone's business. Ah, you're on mute. You're back? No, you're on mute again. This is not a podcast about the joys of being your own boss. There was this one moment when I was sitting with him and I was drawing what I wanted one of my next products to be and he's like, excuse me, miss, are you, are you drawing a vagina? This is a collection of conversations with female founders about the moments that almost finished them, from bushfires to babies, sex scandals to personal crisis. When you're then trying to have sex, it feels incredibly painful because your body can't necessarily associate with relaxing versus being tense. This is a special mini-season of the Lady Startup Podcast, hosted by me, Mia Friedman. Let's talk about sex toys. Except they're not called sex toys now, they're called pleasure products. I learned that from Lara Pack, who turned her own sexual experience into a business. I don't want to give away too much, but you know how I always say that you need to find a gap in the market and then make sure there's a market in that gap? So many businesses are started by women who want to buy something, maybe it's a product, maybe it's a service, maybe it's a sex toy, and can't find it or can't find the right one for them. So they make it. And in Lara's case, I'd just like to say thank you on behalf of every woman who has ever needed pleasure, which is every woman. But before pleasure though, for Lara and many women came pain. I had endo as a kid, like literally from when I was 12, had excruciating pain, had five laparoscopies by the time I was 19. Lara is actually a graduate of the Lady Startup Activation Plan, the online course that I teach for women who want to start a business or a side hustle. And when she did the course with me in 2019, she already had her idea, a stylish type of pleasure product. And over the six weeks we spent together, I showed her how to take the idea she had in her head and bring it out into the world. And now it's out into the world. And thousands of women are so much happier than they were before. Her story is such a great one with some moments that will make you laugh out loud. But I want to start at the beginning. How exactly do you validate your product idea when your idea is a pleasure product? So it was really um, interesting because a lot of the women that I'm trying to speak to are women that haven't necessarily used it in the first place. So you can't go to women and say, hey, how do you feel about something you've never even thought of before and how do I find the right people? So because my business kind of started with my own experience with pain and going to pelvic floor physios and going to doctors and having gone down that myself and it working for me, I went to those people to say, well, how much of your time is spent talking to other women who are experiencing the same problems. I don't want to probe too much, but I will anyway. (laughs) Are you talking about pain during sex and was it related to endo or was it something in particular that you found out what it was and how did you use pleasure products to sort of treat it? Okay, so I had endo as a kid, like literally from when I was 12, had excruciating pain, had five laparoscopies by the time I was 19. So I feel like 
for me, my start to my body and my organs essentially was very clinical Mm. and not ideal. So when you've got older men kind of looking at you from a clinical perspective, it's not exactly the biggest turn on in the world, plus the association with the pain. So that didn't help. And that was the kind of the first start to it. But then after I had kids, I developed what's called vaginismus, which is the worst word in the universe. Yeah, I've got a number of friends who have that condition. Can you explain it for people who aren't familiar with that term? Yeah. So it's basically when you get involuntary contraction of the muscles um, inside. So when you're then trying to have sex, it feels incredibly painful because your body can't necessarily associate with relaxing versus being tense. I got diagnosed with that, went to pelvic floor physio and the treatment for it, one of the treatments is dilators. And um, for anyone who doesn't know what dilators are, it's basically little penis-y dildo looking things and they get bigger in size and you're supposed to relax and go put one in and watch TV or something and try to reassociate um the experience and also stretch the muscles and train them essentially which isn't the most fun and again not a very enjoyable experience so all of it very clinical and vaginismus part of the problem is it's physical but it's also psychological and emotional as well so when you start to have an association of pain with sex Mm. it's really hard to overcome that because your mind instantly thinks this is going to hurt so I don't want to do it and therefore I'm going to lock up the muscles essentially. Oh, that must put an absolute dampener on your sex life. Yeah, really not cool. So I went to a pelvic floor physio and eventually she said to me, hey, you know, have you ever tried using sex toys externally? So everyone thinks of sex toys and thinks I'm going to put a dildo inside me. But actually 70% of women need external stimulation to orgasm. I wasn't necessarily, well, I wasn't aware of that and I wasn't aware of how important it was. And she was like, well, why don't you try using it externally? Because essentially it just, it's relaxing. It's like having a massage, but just in your vagina. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked for me and I thought, well, this could be amazing. And I, there was so much stigma around it though. And the products I didn't feel like were very, you know, this was quite a few years ago. They weren't very beautiful. The process of buying them wasn't particularly enjoyable Maybe it was the store that I went to. They've obviously changed a lot now, but it was like an old man sitting behind the desk and you're like, hey, what do you recommend for clitoral stimulation? And he's as fluorescent red as I am at this point. And also I've been into sex back when the only place you could get these things were in sex shops. They're pretty intimidating. I mean, there are some, you know, you kind of would feel embarrassed and there would be some very elaborate looking contraptions You wouldn't want to ask for help. So the whole experience was not conducive to a good time. No, they've gotten better. There's some amazing women-led ones now that are phenomenal that you can walk in and they really take the time to get to know you and what you want and show you products. But I was with you. Like that was my experience with it. So how did Um, you know it wasn't just you? How did you know that there would be enough people like you that wanted a different type of pleasure product? Um, so the first part was checking with the doctors. So I went to quite a lot of gynecologists and they said like, what percentage of your day is spent talking about painful sex? And it's like 10 to 20%. It's actually a lot, a lot higher than I thought it would have been. Because remember also that's, that's only the people that talk about it. That's not even people that experience it. So Mm. you're, you're only getting a portion of that. And then I started like randomly when I was talking to women just everywhere, I'd bring it up and say, this is kind of what I'm thinking. What do you think? 
so that helped me a lot to understand it. And then not to say it just to you, but when I did the lady startup course, you know, that was like a captive audience, right? I had 200 women that were in this group that didn't know me. So they had no real um, allegiance to necessarily my investment in it. And so it was like the perfect focus group to say, hey, guys, this is what I'm doing. What do you think? And so many people, even from that, were like starting to message me like, wow, thank you so much. I hadn't really thought about this or this is really exciting or really cool. So I think between the combination of the doctors, the physios, like the influences of the women experiencing it mm-hmm. and then having a few women that I could randomly sample was really helpful. So you've got your idea, you've validated it. How do you then turn it into a product? So that was the interesting part. I have no design experience whatsoever, but I went on Alibaba, the golden universe of where you get samples basically from China and you can type in anything that you're looking at brings up all the suppliers that are around and available that kind of do what you're looking for. So um, I typed in vibrators and it brings up, you know, thousands of suppliers What I did was I went to people that were already doing it and said, hey, I've got my own idea. Could you help me manufacture my own idea? But at least knowing they had some experience in the product anyway. And found a really lovely guy who was awesome and kind of ran him through, you know, I literally drew a picture of what I wanted and was like, hey, what do you think? And he did and he sent, you know, kind of developed it, sent me a sample and then I actually went over to China which was an awesome but terrifying experience because I've never met this person. And I rock up on my own, you know, across the border from Hong Kong to Shenzhen. I'm standing in the hotel at the Shangri-La, which is right by the train station. I'm like, I've actually never had this moment. I'm like, I'm about to meet someone I've never met before. (laughs) To talk about a vibrator design. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway, he was lovely and he took me to a whole lot of factories, which was an experience in itself. What was that like? Like, what did they make of you? So it was interesting. They, they'd never, ever worked with a woman before. Really? So I was the first female. So they were all kind of unsure of how to act and what to say. And, you know, I, I arrived there and they've got literally vibrators all along the table to show me what they already do. Were they embarrassed? Were you embarrassed? Both. I was actually less embarrassed. I kind of love the embarrassment of it, if that makes sense. I make a great joke of it and that, but there was this one moment when I was sitting with him and I was drawing what I wanted one of my next products to be. And Mm -hmm. he's like, excuse me, miss, are you, are you drawing a vagina? And I'm like, well, (laughs) yes, because I need you to see, because it was going to be, and he's like, anyway, so I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) He was absolutely mortified. (laughs) Look, it was amazing to be there and it kind of gave me, I think the going over there gave me the insight into those kind of cultural differences and how important relationships are when you're working in China. So they take it very seriously and they, you know, there's saving face is a very big thing there. So they want to do the right thing. They don't like to say no. So they say yes, even if they can't necessarily deliver it, in the way that you want because it's just not part of their culture. So I learned a huge amount from that trip that I've been able to take into kind of every other element of the business, to be honest. What advice would you give to any woman who's looking at getting samples out of China or perhaps manufacturing in China? Um, So I learned through that 
I ended up not working with him. So what happened was during that trip as well, I met up with a quality team. I was really lucky a friend of mine knew someone who runs a quality team out of China. And I engaged them, but I engaged them six months after I'd started. And that was my mistake. What do a quality team do? Like what's the marker of quality? So they basically look at um, the product type and they go and do research into what regulation is needed. Now, the interesting thing with sex toys is there isn't a lot of regulation, which is kind of scary. Really? Yeah, almost none. But yeah, so they looked at the documentation that's needed to kind of bring it into the country and which ones you need for which countries. So there's different rules and different regulations for, let's say, the US versus Australia. And when you're air freighting and you've got a battery, you need certain regulations. So all these things that I had no idea about, they kind of looked at and they then negotiated directly with the factory to make sure that those things were met. We'll be back in a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, MYOB and Smiling Mind Small Business Program. I'm joined again in this episode by Jane Martino, Smiling Mind founder, mum of three and powerhouse entrepreneur. And we're going to talk about mental health for small business owners. Jane, what do you think resilience is in business? I think it's the ability to keep going when sometimes you don't feel like doing so. I I mean, I have definitely hit rock bottom in some of the projects that I've done and been involved with. And I have to say, you know, getting back up when you're down there, you know, you talk about resilience all your career and it might be losing a client or a publisher saying, I don't want to publish that. But then sometimes things happen. You're like, whoa, okay, this is big. And it takes a lot longer to get back up. But it's the ability to, even if that takes time, and even if you have to do it in a different way, that you still are willing to get back up and actually put yourself back out there. Yeah, I feel like resilience is the most important thing you can have as a lady startup or small business owner. How do you build that resilience muscle, do you think? There's a couple of things. One is, yes, the experience, but one is actually also not having fear rule all of your decision-making and attempting things that you basically don't have a certain outcome for. Because it's only by doing those things and coming out the other side and being like, oh, that wasn't so bad, (laughs) that you can build that muscle. So... It's like everything, it's, it's practice and repetition. That was Jane Martino, the founder of Smiling Mind. I have learned so much about mental health and small business from talking to Jane, from awareness of mental health in small business to stress management and resilience. There are so many ways that the two intersect. But most importantly, I've learned and I've been reminded that it's essential to take care of your mental health as a lady startup or a small business owner. Let's make mental health everyone's business. Try the free small business program under the app work section in the Smiling Mind app today. So tell Um, me about some of the mistakes that you made throughout the process. Okay, so with that one, so this guy that I met was great and I'd handed over a whole lot of money first before I got the quality team involved. And it kind of became obvious. how much money? Like 5,000 US dollars. So it wasn't huge, but it was enough that, and what, what was that money meant to be for? So it was meant to be for the investment for them to do the prototype. So because I was manufacturing a brand new design, I had to basically create my own tooling. But what ended up happening was they weren't going to be able to meet the quality standards. They were actually quite a small manufacturing company. And 
I sat down with my quality team. They said, look, you know, you've spent money and we appreciate that. And if you want to keep going, we'll make it work. But I don't think you're going to end up with the product that you want at the end. And for me, it was so heartbreaking because I'd spent so much time and investment in it and my pride and my money and my dream. And I basically was being told either scrap it and start again or keep going and potentially end up with a product that you're not happy with. And I've made the decision to scrap it. Um, But coming to that conclusion, I was just absolutely heartbroken And so my lesson from it, so the amazing thing I learned was because I made so many mistakes in it and kind of did it out of order, the next time when we started with a new company was so much easier. I mean, it wasn't perfect. It never is perfect, but it was better because I knew the kinds of things we needed and I I let the quality team take the control over the manufacturing. When I think for me, I always knew this wasn't short term. This was a very long term game for me that I really want to build the brand. I, I want to make a difference. I want to help other women. And so I thought, you know, if I was looking at this as a quickie, just get a product out there, which many businesses do, and that's totally fine, then I would have kept going. But I was like, what if I get this out and it doesn't work? Or someone has a bad experience and they've just taken this leap to use a product that they didn't know that they needed and didn't want to, and I've let them down. And for me, I couldn't live with that. So it was an easier decision from that perspective. But honestly, it was really tough because when you're doing your own business, you've spent so much time convincing yourself and the world that you can do this. It was honestly a tough decision to not just keep going down the path for the sake of going down the path. So you make the switch, you redevelop you're happy with the products, they arrive in Australia. What are your challenges when it comes to actually marketing them? So a lot. I mean, you can't use any traditional advertising. You can't use social media. So I mean, I have social media, but you can't advertise through it. Facebook and Instagram don't allow basically anything to do with a Volvo, quite honestly. But I've seen Um, so many of those, you know, those pink sex toy things, all the influencers were spruiking them for a while. They seem to get away with it. So you can do it to an extent. You just run the risk of, at some point, them shutting you down. And I take such personal offense to it because part of my mission is to actually bring it more into a healthcare space and sexual health and wellness and out of porn. It's got nothing to do with that. Like, you know, a man can go and buy condoms anywhere and talk about, hey, I'm going to take someone home and do whatever. But a woman, we want our pleasure and all of a sudden – I'm sorry, well, where is your clitoris, first of all, because most people can't even locate it, and we're not going to give you the information for it and the resources to be able to help. So I I find the whole thing quite frustrating. It's not true when you say that. I hadn't even thought about it. Like condoms are available in supermarkets and in chemists, but pleasure products aren't. No, Hmm. and I'd like to change that. And that's why I associate myself with the doctors and the pelvic floor physios because I'm like, my eventual dream is to actually do clinical studies to show the clinical benefit. You know, we know anecdotally there is and any studies that are out there do show that using sex toys has a benefit in your overall sexual health. There's lots of studies that show that, but not not too specific. So it's something I ultimately want to do. But yeah, growing the brand's been challenging from that perspective The industry itself is amazing. So the distributors, the retailers, I think 
once you're in the industry, everyone is so aware of the stigma that's faced to all of us that we all support each other unbelievably well. And it's a beautiful industry from that perspective because it's competitors will help each other. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not unknown for two people that have competing products to go and promote things together and to share events and to help each other. But it's a constant challenge, A, because I can't advertise, but B, well, how do you talk to people who don't know what they don't know and don't know that they want it? And how do you educate people without it feeling like education? Because education is not very sexy. No one wants to be educated about pleasure. So I've done a lot of work on that, trying to kind of find avenues. One of the best ones for me has been doing parties, Ah. um, like Tupperware parties with um, sex toys. So that's been amazing. And I find people come there and I do trivia because trivia is a fun way to educate people. And it becomes really obvious really quickly that everyone's kind of having the same issues and we're all going through these things and actually this may help. What are some so, of your trivia questions? Hit me. Let's see if I can answer any. Okay. So some of the trivia questions. How often does the average couple have sex a year? I would say, I don't know, 45 times? So it's 66. So it's oh. more than that. So that's good. So that's so more that's than good. once a week. Yeah, but remember we're averaging, we're also averaging teenagers, which oh, is like 10 okay. times a day. Like so rabbits. we're not just talking about Okay. So right. it's, a, it's so a broad spectrum. 66 times, that's interesting. Um, and then one of them I told you earlier, so let's see if you remember it, but how many women need external stimulation to orgasm? Did you say 80%? 70. 70%. But I, it probably is 80. Yeah, some people um, probably lie. You've got two little girls age seven and four, I think you said. Yeah. If I asked them what does mummy do for a job, what would they say? I'd be nervous what they say or I tell them. I say that mummy helps other women and she helps them learn to love their bodies because that's what I'm trying to do. The yeah. products are just the avenue for that. But I'm really proud of it. And I I yeah, want my girls to grow up in a world that that is normal mm. and not having the stigma associated with it being pleasure products, but rather about teaching women to explore their bodies and love it. Have you found that adults can be judgmental about what you do? Totally. I mean, I think when I was starting, it was really hard because I was still learning it myself. And, you know, people say, what do you do? And I say, you know, I I make pleasure products for women. They're like, really? Do you really want to do that? And why would you want to put your kids in that position? And don't you have someone's friend call me and be like, but your kids are going to get teased at school. And why would you put them in that position? And I said, well, if I want the world to change and I don't want them to get teased at school, then I have to lead the way to show not to do that, not sit in the shame of not doing it just so that they don't have to go through that. And I hope my kids don't have to, and that would never be my intention. I'm hoping that by the time they get older, I feel like the world's already changing. Hopefully it's changed more, but I'm also not going to not do my dream and passion and help other women because I'm ashamed that it's around sex because that's just not what I'm about at all. You also talk about not wanting people to associate pleasure products with solo sex necessarily, this idea of, oh, who needs yeah. a boyfriend or a girlfriend when you've got batteries? Exactly. Tell me yes. about that. Well, I think that's part of the problem, right? So th- there's so many things when you're using pleasure products. One is how a woman feels about it, but the other is how your partner feels about it. 
And I think, you know, it was Sex in the City, right? I think it was Samantha who was using the old rabbit style. And she kind of raised that topic. Like, I don't need a man anymore. Like, I've got everything I need. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe physically you have some of it. But, you know, there's a lot of emotional things. And as amazing as my products are, they're not going to give you what a man can give you. Or a woman. But I think there's two parts to it. So if you want to have solo sex, that's amazing. But pleasure products can actually be used in partnership. So Mm. part of it is that on your own, you learn to explore your own body. And I think the more confident you are in your own body and in what feels good for you and in what you enjoy, then you can kind of share that with your partner so that your partner can learn that too. Great sex isn't about the physics. It's actually about the communication. I really want to create a community of women that feel comfortable to share and talk and inspire each other um, and also then create amazing products that bring a smile to someone's face and help them enjoy their body. And have your manufacturers stop giggling? Well, that, that would be good, although I hope they giggle, but in good ways. <laughs> Lara, thanks so much. I'm a huge fan and uh, keep you. going. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love the way Lara is committed to changing the conversation around women's sexual health and the pleasure product industry and how she really feels and understands that education is at the core of everything she does. Plus, a percentage of every sale is also dedicated towards ending human sex trafficking. Okay, my key takeaways. The first one, I think, is that having a plan helps. Now, this is going to sound very self-serving, but... If I were her, I would have gone as she did. How do you even go about making a pleasure product? And by doing the Lady Startup course, she really was able to step through each of these steps. Now, she was the first one who's ever done it, who wanted to uh, start a business around pleasure products. But this is probably, I don't know, the 700 or so different idea that has come from the course, whether it's a service or a product. And the other thing that you need to know is that your idea doesn't have to be original because there were lots of pleasure products out there already. I know I've got a couple, but she wanted to do it in a way that she thought was different. Her aesthetic, her vision was always going to be different from anyone else's because it was hers. So during the course, we stepped through idea, brand, product, scaffolding, audience and launch, how to build each one of those. And we did it week by week. And the other thing that was incredibly helpful to her and everyone else that does the course is the Facebook group, the private Facebook group that we have of all the women who were doing the course at that time. She really used those women, as so many of our students do, as a focus group and a market research group. And that is how you determine that there is a market in the gap that you have seen. So yes, having a plan really, really helps no matter what your product is. The second thing that I took away from her interview is that dealing with criticism or judgment is something that we all have to deal with. Pretty much no matter what your business idea is, even if it's not something as sort of controversial as pleasure products, people are going to have opinions about it and people are going to not always have positive things to say about it. Having a thick skin is important, but along the way, you won't always be met with enthusiasm. And sometimes, yes, you will even cop harsh criticism and judgment like Lara did. There's not a lot that you can do to change other people's opinions. I think the most important thing is to say to yourself that 
their opinions don't have anything to do with you. It's different if someone's giving you a well-meaning view in terms of, hey, I think maybe the term sex toys is a bit off-putting. Maybe, you know, it would be better if you thought of something that's a little bit more user-friendly like pleasure products. I mean, those things you can decide to take them on board or not, but those things are constructive criticism or positive feedback or helpful feedback. People who just say, I think what you're doing is immoral or you're disgusting or don't you think your children are going to be ashamed of you, you are never going to win those hearts and minds. So I think if you try to please everybody, you will in fact please nobody. So it's important to focus on the people who are receptive to what you're doing rather than the people who, for their own reasons, have a problem with it. I know that I used to get very caught up in what people thought of me until I realised there's a group of people who are heavily invested in not liking me and not liking anything that I do. And I used to try to change their minds. I used to think if I can just explain to them why they're wrong about me, they'll change their minds. But you'll be surprised to hear that that never worked and they never changed their minds. So instead, I focused on the people who did like what I did and I listened to them and when they said that there were things that I did that they didn't like or made them uncomfortable or made them feel excluded I really lent in and I listened to their opinions so Glennon Doyle talks about feedback and about how you've got to sort it you've got to go to your mailbox and you've got to sort your mail before you bring it into the house because a lot of your mail is going to be junk mail and should not be brought into the house and of the hundred pieces of feedback you'll get maybe three or four of them will be worth considering That's what she says in her case. So if you are thinking, well, if she can make a pleasure product company and a pleasure product brand, my idea for making earrings or salted caramel, that's not nearly as controversial. Uh, And if she can do it, I can certainly do it. Well, you can. And the fact that you are hesitating before you take a step to starting your business does not mean it's not the right step to take. Go to ladystartup.com. Our activation plan runs a couple of times a year. It might be running while you're listening to this, but don't miss out. Go to ladystartup.com or go and follow us on Instagram. Lots of love and remember that the whole idea of Lady Startup is that we are supporting women, women supporting women, because together we're stronger. This episode of Lady Startup was brought to you by the MYOB and Smiling Minds Small Business Program with mindfulness meditations for navigating stress, building resilience, and finding balance. It's here to help business owners thrive. So let's make mental health everyone's business. Try the free small business program under the at work section in the Smiling Mind app today. And breathe. Breathe.